Welcome to the Brian Kane Peak Performance Podcast. On each and every episode, Brian talks with coaches, athletes, and performers in all arenas who are putting into practice the principles of peak performance that will help you close the gap from where you are to where you want to be, to help you become a master of the mental game, and to help you start dominating the day. Brian Kane with the Brian Kane Peak Performance Podcast here, and today we've got a very special guest. Not only did he play three years of Major League Baseball with the Pittsburgh Pirates and the Kansas City Royals, he was also the best man in my wedding, Jonah Bayless. Been a lifelong friend, uh, been a lifelong hero of mine, and here he is today on the podcast to talk about his story, his pursuit of success, and the 12 pillars of peak performance and how they tie back to his career. He's also been the general manager of the North Adams Steeplecats of the New England Collegiate Summer Baseball League, runs a A1 pitching academy for elite pitching instruction. And Jonah, we're fired up to have you on the podcast, man. Thanks for joining us here. Great to be here anytime. If you would, man, talk to us a little bit about just kind of your career um, and, you know, and, and how you went from basically being a junior in high school the number four pitcher on a high school of uh, graduating class. My senior year, I'll give a background here. I'm going to brag on Jonah for a minute here. I'll, g- I'll give his background. So my, uh, my senior year of high school, Mount Greylock High School, Williamstown, Massachusetts, I'm a senior, Jonah's a junior, and he's like the number four, maybe number five pitcher on a high school baseball team of like 16 kids. And... You know, I graduate, go to the University of Mount to play. Jonah goes to Lawrence Academy to redo his junior year at a prep school. He was a year young, you know, for his grade. Goes to Lawrence Academy and then goes to Trinity College, Division Three college baseball in Hartford, Connecticut. His brother's playing there and having a lot of success. Wasn't recruited by anybody, Division One coming out of, out of uh, Lawrence Academy. Goes to Trinity and blows up. Goes from throwing, I don't know, 86, 87 to like 95 miles an hour as a seventh round draft pick by the Kansas City Royals Mm -hmm. and makes it to the major leagues. And just an unbelievable story of a guy who went from being unrecruited, Division Three baseball, probably largely because his brother was playing there, to pitching in the major leagues. So Jonah, I just stole your thunder and told your story here, but let me ask you this, man. What was the turning point for you? When did all of a sudden you go, I'm going to play college baseball and then I'm going to make it in the major leagues. What was the turning point for you? If you look back? Um, well, looking back, uh, so I guess I went to disclaimer. I went to Lawrence Academy to play hockey. Um, kind of college hockey was, was what I had my eyes set on. So I'm, I played high school hockey for for our public high school, Greylock, um, and I was I was pretty good for the area. And I knew that if I wanted to continue, I needed to really find out how good I actually was. Uh, so I kind of picked um, the top. I found a list of like the top ten hockey schools in in private schools in New England, and just started kind of weeding out, um, you know, which ones I thought I could get into and which ones I couldn't, and just applied to them. And the the one that I got into that had the best hockey program, I went to, um, and I walked on, made the team, uh, but you know the the long story short is is I mean those kids were good. They they were really really good. Uh, you know most of my teammates went to Boston College, UNH, um, Merrimack, uh, Northeastern. You know great programs, and I knew that you know my I think somewhere deep down my my pursuit of my pursuit maybe wasn't necessarily in hockey in retrospect. It was just kind of in athletic performance. Mm. Um, and so I still saw an avenue in baseball. 
And so I started kind of, you know, I, I, I finished hockey. I, I played through my senior year at Lawrence Academy. And, but it kind of, that's when it kind of started to shift over to baseball. Um, you know, I always played baseball. I was uh, always decent at it. I always had a good arm. Um, you know, in, in high school, you know, like you said, I was, I was the number four pitcher on, on the Greylock team. And it basically just because I threw for the area and for high school relatively hard, you know, low to mid 80s. Uh, and, and so I always got kind of put into baseball in that my friends always played, um, had a great time doing it. So I started to take it a little bit more seriously around this, my senior year in, in high school at Lawrence Academy, and like you said, ended up at Trinity College, and you're 100% correct. Uh, it's pretty much because my brother went there, and I was like, man, that'd be pretty cool. Um, you know, and quite frankly, if my brother wasn't there, I wouldn't have gone to Trinity. It, it never would have happened. You know, Coach Decker wouldn't know who I was, and... Um, you may have never played college baseball. <laughs> right, right. Who knows what you would have happened, what would happened to you, man? Right. Um, and then, you know, so I went there, and my, my freshman year, uh, it was just, it was kind of a feeling of, wow, this is cool. Um, I'm, I'm playing college baseball with my brother. I'm a freshman. I'm, I'm a rookie. Um, I was good, not phenomenal. Um, but it was just fun. It was, and, and Jarrett was the one with the work ethic. Um, Focus, for sure. Oh, man. And, you know, so he was on these weight programs that he got from a strength coach. And, you know, essentially, he was the only one at Trinity College that was that dedicated. And so he had no one to work out with. And he was like, hey, man, will you work out with me? I was like, yeah, of course. And he was like, all right, I'm going, I'll, be in, I'll be in the weight room at uh, 8 a.m. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> like, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but, I, you know, I was like, okay, yeah, I'm in. Let's do it. Um, so I really I learned a lot about focus and work ethic from from Jarrett. And then... You know, through these strength programs and every and, and working out with him, um, you know, my sophomore year. So I played in the NECBL after my freshman year, and then I played again in my sophomore year. And kind of all of a sudden, the summer after my sophomore year, I started throwing hard. And that's, you know, quite frankly, that's that's when it all started, so to speak. Um, a scout came up to me after a game, asked me if I've ever ever thought about playing professional baseball. I kind of chuckled at him and, and just said no. <laughs> I was like, uh, no. He's like, well, you know, I, I had you at 93 today, so, you know, you might might want to give it some thought. And I, um, and it was just, I was kind of blown away. Like, it, it had never, professional athletics had, I mean, yeah, you, you think about it as a kid. You, you, you know, you're, you're in Little League, you always, you're in the backyard or, you know, whatever, and you're always, oh, but it's the bottom of the ninth, you know, yeah. two outs, bases loaded, you know. You always put yourself in the scenario, and in, in, as a kid, you know, you want, to, you want to be a Major League Baseball player, but you also want to be astronauts and, and all sorts of stuff. So I guess I never really saw it as a reality. It was just kind of a, a dream um, as a kid, but you know, that's kind of when it clicked, and it was like, wow, like maybe, maybe this could be a reality. And so I remember, like, essentially from that moment forward, I was like, okay. I'm going to do it. And so I showed up my junior year at, at Trinity College with, with a game plan, with I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to finish this year, and whatever happens at the end of that junior year, I want to be able to look back and say, you know what, whether I get drafted or not, I put the entire thing on the table, you know, workouts, conditioning, you know, arm strength, everything, and mental training. That's when I dove into mental training. You know, I, I I got my hands and my brain around anything that I thought would would make me a better pitcher, um, and just absorbed all of it with the intent that at the end of this, 
I just want to make sure that if it, it that if it doesn't work out, I can honestly look in the mirror and say I did it. Like I I gave it everything I could. I, it didn't work out. It wasn't my fault. There's nothing I could have done more. Uh, and I knew that I, that would kind of make me okay with it. So I mean, I just I went intense, man. I, I changed I changed a lot of routines. Um, got real serious. Uh, you know, my my weekends in college got real serious. Um, I still had fun with my friends and stuff, but. Um, certainly not to the extent that that I that I used to, um, um, and and it paid off. And and it was it, that that year was kind of the first time that I really saw myself felt had the feeling of of reaping the rewards of the work that you put in, you know. And it was really really gratifying. So then, the what year did you get drafted? 2002. So 2002, you're seventh round pick of the Kansas City Royals. You go off to minor league baseball. You then, how, how long was it till you made it to the major leagues? Uh, almost three years exactly. So uh, I got drafted. Uh, the draft was early June, uh, two thousand two, and uh, I made my debut on June twenty first, two thousand five. Where was it? Chicago. White Sox. Yeah, the White Sox. Um, June twenty one, two thousand five, and your first major league strikeout was who? Frank Thomas. Frank Thomas. Yeah. How about that? That's unbelievable. And uh, talk about you know you're, you so you have a talk about your major league career. So you get up June twenty first two thousand five and take us through kind of that until the end of your career. Oof. Okay. Um, so you get called up and it's like you know it's a whirlwind when you first get called up. You know you're it's you don't really know how to explain it. Um, you know you you're you're confident. You've 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 put the work in. You've you've kind of climbed through the ranks of the minor leagues. Um, and it's it's kind of this like this like dangerous line that you, that you walk of of almost naive confidence at times to where nothing really affects you because you just sort of naively just yeah this is where I'm supposed to be um, so I I got through let's see I pitched about uh, a month and a half that first year 2005 um, so I was up for two weeks got sent back down came back up for about a month. Um, and then went to the fall league with the Royals and I was like, this, you know, this is it, you know, I'm, I'm on the track, you know, here I go. Um, and I remember, so that was, that was the first year I, you know, I kind of, I had a little bit of cash from, from my big league time. Um, and so I, I moved out to Arizona for the off season. You know, like I said, I was in there for the fall, for the Arizona fall league. So we were in an apartment and I just stayed in that apartment. Um, you know, it's kind of the first time I, I, I got out of, New England for the winter, and I, I was—I mean, I was just ecstatic, man. I was like, "This is it!" You know, I move out to Arizona, and I'm going to roll right into spring training. It's going to be the greatest spring training I've ever had. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to make the club out of, out of Kent because I'm going to be so prepared, and you know, and just and, and it's, here I go. This is it, right? And then I remember getting a phone call at—I uh, don't know what time it was. It was like 8 a.m., maybe even earlier, um, in uh, about the middle of December when they're having the winter meetings, and it's our director of. Uh, player development he tells me i've been <laughs> i just got traded to the pirates and i'm like what and i was like oh you know and it's the kind of the weird the first time it happens it's really weird um you know you you almost there's almost like a feeling of betrayal and it, it it's awkward uh you know but you you slowly learn that it, it's kind of no it doesn't mean that nobody doesn't like somebody doesn't like you or somebody you know you got to look at it as the pirates really do like you, um, but 
long story short, the the downfall was that spring training was now in Florida. Yep. So all my all my efforts to get myself you know really locked into a good routine um, and roll right into spring training had kind of been thwarted. So I went over to to Pittsburgh. Um, didn't know anybody on the team. Didn't know a soul. You know, I was in spring training. I was had an apartment by myself. Uh, started the year in AAA there, and kind of similar to what I did the year before with Kansas City. I was I was up for about two weeks um, in June, late June. Sent back down and then uh, back up to to finish the season. Um, and then that off season rolled into uh, winter ball down in Venezuela. Pitched really well down there and kind of rolled that right into spring train the next spring training of 2007 which is the year that I broke camp uh, with the pirates um, and uh, you know I'm, I'm assuming that 2007 is probably the year you're gonna want to dive into because you know that was the year I, I broke camp with the pirates um, I was on cloud nine again I was you know this was it I was back on track I got off to a really good start um, you know I think I was leading the major leagues in appearances like through like a month and a half you know I, was just, I had billion of them i had like 33 through through may or something like that um and uh and then it just you know quite honestly it just it snowballed it fell apart um the snowball got really really big and overwhelming and i quite frankly um between you me and obviously all the listeners listening in uh yeah i i it was too much to handle and and it mentally and i i kind of lost sight of sort of who I was as a pitcher um and you know the the unfortunate part about it is that you know so I got sent back down to AAA and you know kind of the the oh woe is me story is that was it you know I got called up one more time for like I don't know I was like four days or something like that um and and that was it there was never there was never a a a third chance after that which I was always kind of gung-ho that there would be. It was baseball. I thought it was going to be poetic that I would get, you know, three strikes, and then I was out, you know. Um, but I never got that, that opportunity for a third strike. And uh, that's that. Um, I got an opportunity to play in Japan um, after that, which was phenomenal. It was unbelievable. One of the best experiences of my life. Um, but, you know, all in all, in looking back in hindsight, it's, uh, it, you know, it, people always ask me if I could have changed anything, and, there's really not much I would change. Um, if I could go back to that 2007 season, it was uh, just that moment, just that two to three weeks where I kind of started to doubt myself a little bit, um, sort of bought in, not bought into, but started listening to, they weren't critics, but um, you know, listening to people with, with, everyone's got a different idea, let's put it that way. Everyone's got a different idea of what your struggles are. And, you know, kind of listening to everybody and not really focusing on what I thought was going to help and just, oh, oh, you, you, so coach X thinks I need to do this. Okay, let's start doing it. Coach Y thinks I need to start doing this. Let's start doing that too. Coach Z thinks I need to start doing that. Let's start doing that too. And all of a sudden I'm doing, I'm trying to do three different things. And when all three of them might be correct individually, Mm -hmm. but combined, all three of them together, they just get jumbled in your head, and, and you really have no idea what you're doing. Quite frankly, if you could, let me ask you this: if you could go back right now and go have a conversation with that Jonah Bayless of 2007, knowing what you know now, what would you say to that guy? 
at that point in the season. You're leading the major league base, lead major league baseball in appearances in 2007. And then can you go back to like you know you go back to the point where all of a sudden maybe you started to let the sleep the self doubt creep in, or maybe there was a point where all of a sudden you were not performing as well as you want to. What would you go back and say to that guy right now? Ah, man, that's a uh, that's a great question, Brian. Um, I would tell him to to I would tell him to stay strong, to stay true to the convictions that got him there. Um, you know what I'm. So I've always kind of tried to distinguish this difference between self confidence and self belief, and. And I, I, I fear that I'm going to get a little bit uh, gray in my, in my clarification here, but I'm but I'm going to try it. So, <laughs> so self confidence to me is is something that I always had, and I still have it. Um, but as a pitcher, I always had it, and that was yes. No matter what was going on in my career, when the bullpen phone rang and it was for me, I could confidently get up and say, you know what, I'm the guy for this job. Um, you know, I have the stuff, I have the ability to do this, you know, all that, all that stuff that I'm sure you talk about all the time on your podcast. Self-belief is a little bit deeper and a little bit more theoretical, if you will. And that's why, it, you know, some people kind of get what I'm saying. Some people don't, but self-belief is more of, I believe that I belong here. Like this is where I'm supposed to be, um, you know, so when I'm on the mound, self-confidence is, again, yes, I have the physical tools to do this. Um, self-belief is sort of more along the lines of, gosh, maybe maybe I'm not supposed to be here. Maybe, you know, maybe, maybe I am just a kid from a small town and, you know, this is, making it to the major leagues was the be-all and all. Was it, yeah. you know what I mean? And, I don't, you know, do you, am I, am I coming across fairly coherent here yes i i think i understand it is that self-confidence is i can get the job done self-belief is maybe this isn't where i'm supposed to be right yeah and 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 i think coming up through the minor leagues i always i had both of them um i had the i had self-confidence and i had the belief that yeah this is this was this is my path and when things started to snowball, essentially what happened was I was I was going really really well, um, you know ERA around three sub three uh, with all those appearances, and then you have one bad outing, and I was always really good at flushing it, you know hey next day just give me the ball yep. and I'll get back out there no problems, and then I had back to back bad outings, um, and not like you know not travesty outings you know it was just you know you give up a run in an inning or you give up two runs in an inning or um, and all of a sudden, I, I can actually I can vividly remember the day I, I walked into PNC Park. And I was getting ready to go do my my pre uh, BP routine, my around uh, two o'clock, and I was out doing my running and everything. Came back in, I, and I ran into the pitching coach, and he's like, uh, you know, kind of the, hey, you know, you, you got a second? And I was like, yeah, what's up? And, you know, hey, I just I noticed that you're going through a hard time. Um, you know you okay? And I said, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm good. You know, you know me, just give me the ball again and, uh, you know, I'll, I'll show you. He's like, okay, you know, cool. <laughs> you know, and then, and then like, I, I, I do a couple other things and like literally like 10 to 20 minutes later, the bullpen coach comes around. Hey, Jonah, how you doing? You know, I'm like, hey, good. I'm, you know, I'm good. 
hey, you, you all right? You know, every, everything going okay? And you're like, yeah, I'm, I'm fine, man. You know, yeah, just just notice, you know, you, you're not pitching like yourself, blah, 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 that kind of stuff. And it, same thing, you know, like, hey, you know, yeah, 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 no, I'm, I'm good. Just, you know, give me the ball again today and, and, and I'll show you. And then I, <laughs> I remember literally walking around the corner in the GM, you know, I like almost ran into him. Uh, and he's like, oh, hey, Jonah, how you doing? You know, <laughs> like, hey, how's it going? And, uh, Hey, how you doing? You okay? <laughs> and at, at that point, like three in a row, at that point, I was like, maybe I'm not. <laughs> I, was like, well, I was like, you know, holy crap. Like, yeah. if three people, you know, it's kind of one of those things like one person tells you something, it's not necessarily true, but yeah. if four or five dentists recommend it, yeah. then it must be true. So I'm all of a sudden, I'm like, wow, three people within a half an hour have essentially told me that I'm not okay. Mm-hmm. I must not be okay. Um, and that was... Honestly, that was the moment that the self-belief disappeared. The self-confidence state still had my fastball, had my slider, had my changeup. Those didn't change. But the belief of, is this where I'm supposed to be, that's when that crept in. So self-confidence sounds like it's more tied to your skill set of being able to throw a pitch where the self-belief is like, do I belong here? Right. Yeah. Yeah, I think we all go through that at some at some level with, with whatever it is that we do. You know, the the there's always that self doubt. I think it's always going to creep in there. Sure. You know, and and when we talk about a mental game skill set, it might be a routine. It might be visualization. It might be controlling what you can control and putting all your focus there. It might be acting different than how you feel and projecting yourself with confidence. You know, and in the podcast we've talked a lot about the MMA fighters that I work with and guys that are in the locker room and they're nervous and they're scared and they're afraid and they're going, holy shit, I'm about to go get punched in the face for 25 minutes. Why do I do this? I need to find something else to do. But then when they're sitting there in the locker room and you see that, and that's why I have a job there or a mission there, I should say, it's never a job, is to help them understand feelings are not facts. Act different than how you feel and you'll soon feel the way that you act. Flip the switch and let's go. And when you walk through that black curtain and you're making your way to the octagon, there is no place for you to focus on feeling because you're going to feel messed up. You have got to walk to the cage and go in there and act like you love it and act like you are the baddest dude on the planet. Whether you are or not, that's for everyone else to be subjective. Who knows? you got one fight. you only got to beat one guy that night, not an right. army. right? right. So go out there and act as if. And project yourself the way you want to project yourself. And there's all the science and research behind, you know, on YouTube TED, talk, YouTube TED Talks about, like, the science and power of body language and how physiology affects psychology and all that. Mm-hmm. So all of those are, like, that's a buffet of the mental game skills and, you know, just a, a part of the buffet. What are some of the specific mental game skills that you would say, this was my mental game. This is what I did. Um, you know, it, so as a reliever... Uh, the more the more you have a defined role, I think the easier that becomes. Yeah. Um, you know, in, in 2007, I'm sorry, 2006, when I was in AAA with uh, the Pirates, um, I had an opportunity to to be the closer that year, and it was co- not coincidentally probably one of my best years out of the bullpen because my role was established. So I had the opportunity of sitting there, and then every game, you know, the fifth inning comes, and you get to assess where that game's at um and you get to okay this one's we're we're in that ballpark we're in that you know 
three run range, you know, and you start you start slowly locking in um, what's going on, and you start slowly locking in where you are in the order. Um, you know, you you always you know you always pay attention to hitters on the other team, and the more so as as the ninth inning approaches, you get to start to sort of piece together who you're actually going to face, and that's that's kind of that's the big key because now if i can sort of predict uh in the seventh inning who i'm going to face in the ninth um you know with give or take probably a hitter or two like you know you you can do the math you 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 know it's going to be six guys later Mm -hmm. so whoever's up right now you know you just pick six guys later and then you give you know a buffer zone of maybe like two or maybe three more Mm -hmm. you know to account for hits or whatever and obviously you can adapt on the fly and all that stuff but Essentially, what you're doing is, is you're predicting who you're going to see in that ninth inning, and then you're going through and you, you, you're um, some some bullpens have scouting reports uh, and AAA, some don't. Um, but you always have your own, and you remember guys from when you faced them again or previous. So you're you get an opportunity to actually mentally go through those at bats before they actually happen. And when you're going to say mentally go through, is it is it visualizing yourself? Sure. Pitching to that specific guy and how he stands in the batter's box, or is sure. it kind of no? Absolutely. Uh, you know, the more the more detail you can get into that visualization, the more real you can make it. The more you can sort of trick yourself into getting onto that mound, and all of a sudden he steps in and he gets into that stance that you've already visualized, and it's like deja vu. And you're like, oh, I I already struck this guy out two innings ago. Yeah. You know, and so now it's he gets in, and you your plan is there. It's already been laid out. Um, you know the the one asterisk I, sh- I should note is that it's great to do all that, um, but you also have to be adaptable, right? right. It's one thing to have a plan. It, hey, I'm gonna start this guy off with a fastball inside, and uh, you know then we're gonna do this blah 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 blah, and catcher sets up inside, and you just whip one you know four feet across outside. You know if you're not adaptable, you I mean you freak out. Right. Like, I know what right. that wasn't part of the plan. Now what do I do? Right. Um, but yes, the the visualization. Um, I was like I said, I got into it my junior year uh, at, at Trinity. And um, what got you into it? What was your start? Uh, a book. Uh, I, I, I might get this wrong. I don't know. There's a couple with similar titles. I think it was the Mental Game of Baseball. Yep. Um, and like I said at the time, it was it was just me saying, okay. What can I get my hands on and my brain on that's going to make me a better baseball player? And it was, you know, I, I was doing the physical training. I was, you know, arm strength. I was working with weighted balls, trying to throw harder, blah blah blah. And so I had all these pieces, and I was, and I kept sitting down. I was like, Am I missing a piece? And the thing that kept, you know, that kept popping up was, Yeah, I'm not doing anything mentally. Like, how am I any good with dealing with adversity? Um, quite, quite frankly, I wasn't at the time. You know. I was the guy that I'd be cruising through three innings, and all of a sudden I'd you know give up a maybe a home run or something, um, and, you know. And it was just I mean, not that the wheels fell off, but yeah, I'm out there mfing myself on the mound, you know, screaming in my glove, and because um, I had no I had no system, I had I had no coping system. Yeah, I know, and you never had anybody train you to say, hey, here's what you're going to do. Now let's practice that. <laughs> right. Like Herc Sarlos talks about in his podcast with the. The pitching coach at TCU, who also played in the big leagues, you mm-hmm. know, is is having a shadow bullpen where you throw a bullpen like a boxer, where you're throwing punches on air. He throws a bullpen with no ball, 
and visualizes, I just gave up a double. Mm-hmm. Well, how am I going to respond? How am I going to act? How am I going to, re- what are my three steps to release that bad play? But practiced it. And no one ever did that 10 years ago. No one ever <laughs> talked about that. You know, Ken Revisa was on an island by himself doing that. And now what we're trying to accomplish with the podcast and, and my mission is to help bring those skill sets to help athletes like that. Because I sure should had no plan like that to be able to then help people that want to be really good get better. Yeah. Um, yeah, no doubt. And, and it, uh, so I, I read the book and it, it 100% changed my game. Hmm. Um, I mean, 100%. Um, so that's, that's where I learned it. And, and, uh, you know, getting back to, to using it in the bullpen. Yeah. Going, I, I developed the ability to, um, like I said, be able to predict hitters that I was going to see. Um, and, and try and go through a sequence before it even happens. But then on an even uh, shorter time frame, uh, pre-pitch routines. Mm-hmm. Um, I used I would use visualization in my pre-pitch routine to where, you know, so my pre-pitch routine looks something like this. You 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 make a pitch, you see the result that you got. So you, you have an intention with the pitch, and then you, you execute it. Yep. And then you, you get a result, and you either like it or you don't. Um, if you like it, you get the ball back, you get right back on the mound, and you know you, you attack again. If you don't, you assess why you didn't like it. Uh, did it feel wrong mechanically? Like, did it just feel off, or did you, or did did the ball feel? Did it come out of your hands great, but you just missed a spot? You know, these questions that you ask yourself. So as you get the ball back from the catcher and you're walking back to the mound, this is what you're assessing. Yeah. Once you assess, um, you know how. Once you assess your, the results that you got and whether or not you were happy with them, then you go into what do you want to do next? Um, you know, and this is all gonna this is all gonna revolve around who's on base, if there's anyone on base, who's up, you know, all this stuff. And this is stuff that yeah, it's a lot of information. The more you play, the more you the more you get efficient at this. But you're not going to get efficient at it if you don't know that you're doing it. You know what I mean? So if you're not cognitively aware that you need a pre-pitch routine or have a pre-pitch routine, you're never going to enhance it. Right. Um, so anyway, so you, you get your pitch. So once I was, as I'm kind of towing back on the rubber and I have an idea of what pitch I want to throw next, where I want to throw it, you know, all that stuff, what I'm doing is I'm getting, I'm looking in for the sign with my catcher. We get on the same page. Yeah, I want to throw a slider down and away. And the moment, you know, you shake your head yes, as I'm coming set, you know, and everything's kind of locking in, I take that big deep breath in, and as it's going out, it's almost a moment where you can almost close your eyes just for a second, um, and you are visualizing within that, you know, half of a second that that pitch, that slider coming out of my fingertips, coming out great, the trajectory of the ball, where it's going, the catcher, you know, whatever it might be, if it's going to be a slider in the dirt, you know, that that you, you visualize the dirt kicking off home plate and the guy swinging over it. Um, if you're trying to freeze the guy out the back door, you, you visualize that catcher just, you know, wrapping the glove right around. Um, listeners can't see me, but I'm actually framing yeah. an invisible <laughs> ball right now. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, you, you visualize that catcher, you know, framing that ball right on that corner right there, and, 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 you, and you take that. It has to happen within, like, half a second, right, because we don't want to slow it the game down to a snail's pace and all of a sudden you know your your fielders are you know picking noses in the outfield so you visualize exactly where that pitch goes and then essentially when you i'm going to say open your eyes um 
but I don't want people to think that I'm standing on the mound and, you know, I'm just... <laughs> your eyes closed. <laughs> eyes closed. But, yeah, yeah, but mentally, right. it's like you see the picture. Right. Yeah. And then when you open your eyes and you look at that catcher, again, it's deja vu. Yeah. You go, oh, I already did this. Yeah. And it, ideally, it, it just happens for you. So let me ask you this. Let's get really, really specific about the imagery or the visualization, right? And then for the listeners, we use that term imagery and visualization interchangeably. Same mm-hmm. thing. So when you're, when you're visualizing that pitch for that brief second, do you actually see the ball? Like, do you see yourself throw the ball or do you see, you know, David Price talked about, like, I would see the last five feet in front of home plate. And if I'm throwing a fastball in under a guy's hands, I see that window and I just see like the ball go the last five feet, boom, right there into the window. What, where, when did your visualization start like from? Um, you know, it was, it was kind of ever evolving. Uh, you know, I can, I had moments where two different techniques worked. I had moments where if you think about like video games and there's the, the first person video games and the third person video games. So in other words, there's like the James Bond game where you are yep. James Bond and you just see a hand, you know, at the bottom of the which screen, which would be first person, yeah, which yeah. would be first person and the third person where you get to actually see the whole body of the, con- the guy you're controlling like over his shoulder. Right. Like Mike Tyson's punch out. Right. Yeah, you got it. You yeah, got yeah. it. Little Mac. Come on the battle. I'm with you. We're locked in. Yeah, yeah. Um, that'd be third person. That would be third person. Yep. Correct. So, I actually went through phases where, you know, both of those worked for me, where I could put myself into that first person. I would, I personally would see the ball or, you know, kind of see the ball just out of the corner of my eye coming off my fingertips, and I would see the whole trajectory of the ball. I was, I needed kind of that whole, yep. that whole span, the whole 60-foot gap. Um, but on, on the other end, I, there were times that kind of when I closed my eyes, it was, um, you know, it was that third person. I could kind of s- sort of take a step back from the mound and, you know, almost put yourself like in the camera of it, like you're watching the game on TV. Yep. And you got the, the camera out in center field there with a slight off angle. And I could put myself into that picture. And it, you know, it, it, I guess it'd be interesting to go back, if you could, to, to go back and see if there was a correlation between uh, the situation that I was in in which type of visualization I was using um, you know that that might be pretty interesting like you know if you know stepping back into that third person visual, visualization if that gave you you know obviously a bigger a broader sense like if that was used in more for specific situations to or to where that first person visualization was like hey there's nobody on there's nobody you know nobody out you just you just need to make this pitch yeah. so maybe that you know you just you're focused on that just the trajectory of that pitch and, and, and that's it Whereas maybe if the situations were bigger, maybe that's when I was kind of pulling away. I don't know. I'm yeah, just... yeah. That's you know, and and you know what Ken Revisa would teach us that that was is it's you know when you talk about first person, third person for the listeners, just so they can put this together in a context, is it's internal external imagery. Internal imagery is first person inside gotcha. of my own head. External imagery is third person. I'm external. I see myself doing it. You know, so. It's be, in my coming out of your football player, it's seeing it out of my own helmet versus watching it on video. Right. Internal is in the helmet, external is watching it on video. And, you know, Visa used to always say, because people would always ask him, they'd be like, which of those is better? And they would say, just doing it. <laughs> because most people don't do it consistently, right? I mean, right. that's the hardest part about being a human being, I think, is being consistent with what you do. You know, and you talk about the grind of a, of a Major League Baseball season. 
in the grind of a baseball career. And for, you know, coaches listening to this, the majority of people that they coach are never going to play Major League Baseball. Right. You know, you can coach your entire life, and you're never going to coach somebody that plays Major League Baseball. So when we talk about life lessons through sport, which is which is a big motivator in the mental game, is that, yeah, I want to help athletes perform at their best level and give themselves the best chance to make it to the big leagues, but much bigger than that, to take the skill set of what they're learning in that pursuit of excellence in athletics and apply it to other domains in their life when they're done. What are the things that you learned through a career of Major League Baseball that you would want anyone listening to this to take and apply to their life so that they can give themselves the best chance for success in anything? Um, great question again. Uh, you know, there's, there's the... I'm going to say cliches but, or, or overused ones, in my opinion, of, um, you know, confidence, di- commitment, dedication, all that stuff. You know, you got to you got to put the work in. Everybody knows that stuff. Yeah. Um, to me, the big one, the one that I that I tell teach all of my athletes that I get at a one is something that I alluded to earlier in, in the interview here is no matter what happens, just make sure that. At the end of that journey, whatever the journey is, if it's, I don't know, if it's an exam tomorrow, right, and you're studying tonight, um, and the journey ends tomorrow when the exam ends, or whether the journey is a career in some sort of sport, whatever the journey is, make sure at the end of it that no matter what happens, you can look back and say, I did everything in my power to make it happen. And that way, when you look in the mirror, you're going to be okay with yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't, you're going to struggle. You're, it's you know, and and um, you know, quite honestly, when I when I was done playing, um, when I was fresh out of baseball, I, I, I beat myself up for a while. You know, it was it's hard to deal with. You know, you've been you've been doing something since you were five, um, and it's all you know. And and uh, but um, you know you. you you start to look at the bigger picture and like you said, you start to realize how many life lessons you take out of this game and the experiences I got to have. And, you know, the game of baseball took me to Japan, to Venezuela. Um, I got an opportunity to play for team USA in an Olympic qualifier. Um, I mean, it's just, it took me all over the country, you know, in that, all the world. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's just, you know, it's something that I'm forever grateful for. And, and again, it you know I I learned to sit down and say, hey, okay, I'm beating myself up. Why? And I and I you know I really started to do some some introspecting and and discovered that there's really no reason to beat myself up. You know I I honestly can say that when I was there, I mean my work ethic was great. You know I every everything I put in everything. Um, you know, like we said earlier, I had the, the, the one opportunity to where I, I slipped into a little bit of, of self-doubt, um, lost my self-belief for a second, and that's it, you know. And do I wish I could go back and, and, and fix that? Absolutely, right? I might still be pitching in the major leagues. I have no idea. I'm not that old. I'm only 35. There's guys 35 still pitching. Yeah. Um, but that's not the point. The point is, is, is you know what? It happened, and I'm okay with it. If, as long as I can learn from that experience, and I can tell you one thing, it hasn't happened since. <laughs> you know what I mean? I have not slipped into self 
into that amount of, of um, self-doubt since then because I know how imperative it is to have that and no matter what you're doing. You know, I started up the A1 Pitching Academy, and there's there's moments where you're like, oh, man, I don't know, am I teaching this kid the right thing? Yeah. Um, and you just, yeah, I am. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, anyway, long-winded, long-winded answer. I'm, I'm fairly long-winded all the time, but um, long-winded answer was, you know, just make sure at, at the end of the journey, again, whatever it is, however long the duration of that journey is, you can look in the mirror and say, I did everything in my power to make that journey my success, um, and you're going to be okay with it. Kind of sounds kind of like the man in the glass. <laughs> a little bit, you know. One of the greatest poems of all time, "The Man in the Glass." Sounds just like that. It's at the end of the day, you know, when you when you, and that's probably a bit more about integrity. But essentially, what you're saying is, when you look in the mirror, are you happy with what you see and with the effort that you gave? to be the best that you possibly could be and did you did you maximize the journey and really that's all life is man is life is a series of journeys and i think so many times we suffer from destination disease of when i get there everything will be great there never comes man there's always there you know you set goals but once you reach a goal if you're a goal setting machine which we are as human beings especially as athletes and coaches is you get to that goal and two days later, you're raising the bar to do something else, mm-hmm. and you're back on your mission because it's that addiction to accomplishment. It's that addiction to success, you know. And I think I, I can't remember where I heard the quote, but they said I think it was Steve Jobs in his book, his autobiography, where he talked about the destination is the disease, the journey is the reward, mm-hmm. you know. And if you can look at that and look at it, life as that game of constantly growing, constantly learning, constantly leaving it better than you found it you're going to like the result when you're laying on your deathbed, which we're all going to do at some point, you know, and reading some of the stuff about people that are, that are, you know, 80, 90 years old and they're, they're on their deathbed and they ask them and they say, if you could go back and do it all over again, or what do you know now you wish you do then mm-hmm. it always comes back to about the journey, about relationships, about family, mm-hmm. about making a difference in the lives of other people. They never say, I wish I had spent more time in the office they never say, you know, I wish I had exercised more unless, you know, they're dying of obesity or something like that. But they're always saying, I wish I had invested more in other people and gave more away. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. That's kind of what we try to do with this podcast. And hopefully, you know, we've accomplished that at a level which is everly going to be increasing uh, with the value and the structure and the system so that people are, are as easily as possible able to take the lessons that we're sharing here and people are sharing as our guests and able to apply it to their life. So, Jonah, in um, our last question, you may have answered this already, but here's our last question for you, man. If you could remove the skull cap of everybody listening to this interview, coaches, athletes, high school, college, pro, whoever it is, human beings, Remove their skull cap, plant one seed of success in their brain. It's going to germinate and help them get closer to where they want to be. What's that seed? Um, two words. I can. On that note, Jonah, <laughs> that wasn't long-winded, bro. That was beautiful. <laughs> I appreciate you taking time with the podcast, man. Thank you so much. Appreciate you. Love it. Anytime. Today's podcast is sponsored by Potential Apparel. Potential Apparel is on a mission to inspire athletes to reach their true potential. If you're serious about reaching yours, then you have to go check them out. They make awesome clothing for dedicated and committed athletes. 
I'm a huge supporter of what they're doing, and that's why I wear their clothing with pride. Make a statement and join the movement today at PotentialApparel.com. Be sure you use promo code Brian Kane with a space between Brian and Kane for 15% off on your first order. Dominate the day with Potential Apparel. Thanks for listening to the Brian Kane Peak Performance Podcast. Please make sure that you visit BrianKane.com. That's B-R-I-A-N-C-A-I-N.com and sign up for my Monday message where every Monday I deliver straight to your inbox videos, interviews, articles, tips, techniques, and strategies that you can use to master the mental game. You can also contact me through my website on our Contact Us page and see my calendar of where I'm going to be in the country and when I'm coming to your area so that we can get together and that we can continue to go out there and dominate the day. This is a production of Corn Belt Sports. The Brian Kane Peak Performance Podcast is part of the Top Coach Network.